Oh, hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Creft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way, and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. It is pretty common now to hear and see businesses that are built on sustainability, which is fantastic. But today's guest really does take things to the next level here because they are aiming to be the most sustainable brand in the whole world. I doubt you'll be that surprised when I tell you who it is. It is the amazing Brianne West from Atik. In this absolute dream light bulb moment Brianne had, she was a science student at the time and she noticed that her conditioner she was using was 95% water, which when you think about the fact that you do actually have water in your bathroom already, this all seems pretty crazy, but there is just so much unnecessary plastic and packaging in the beauty industry, well in every industry, but that especially. And so that is the moment that Atik was born, making these concentrated solid beauty bars that you keep in the shower or the bathroom you add water from your tap and you lather just like a regular block of old-school soap but for shampoo and conditioner and now household cleaning products too nowadays Atik is a global leading brand they are not disrupting they are absolutely smashing the beauty industry and they've already diverted nearly 10 million plastic bottles from the landfill and now Brianne tells me they have scaled that up and they are going to be diverting or saving half a billion bottles from the landfill by 2030 so I can't wait to talk to Brianne about all of this I want to hear the whole story I want to know where it began what this crazy journey has been like and how exactly they are planning to meet those amazing goals. Hello, hi Brianne, welcome to Pep Talk. How are you going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Really good, thank you. And whereabouts in the world are you joining us from? I'm guessing Christchurch, is that right? It is Christchurch, yes. yes. For this year is mainly been Christchurch, unusual. Yeah. I imagine normal, you know, in normal life you're all over the place a little bit, are you? Yeah, yeah, I do miss a bit of that travel, but you know. Shouldn't complain. Shouldn't yeah, complain. We are relatively very lucky. And, you know, yeah. maybe nice to have a bit of a breather and just be in one place for a while, I guess. It is, yeah. It certainly has pros and cons, for sure. And so I know that, you know, it's a, it's a lot for a lot of people to make time for chats like this, especially in business world where it's so crazy busy. But I know for you especially, you had a big launch yesterday, like not just <laughs> not just a few new flavors or anything, but like a whole new range. Um, so <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> no worries. Yes, tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. Yesterday was a bit of a big deal, but um, yeah, it went very well. So we're very happy. Good. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, your content that you did for the launch. I thought that looked really good. Didn't they do a good job? Yeah. Stoked. Stoked. Yeah, the um, the hero video that you uh, launched is very engaging. I really enjoyed yeah. watching it. Yeah. It was really good fun to film, actually. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. And you, I don't know, I imagine maybe a bit brain fried today, or is it all good so far? Um. Yeah, I think we're all quite tired because the last, you know, probably three months up to a big launch like this you're you, you know you're all about it 
we're very excited, but you're all about this one thing and now mm. it's done. We're all thinking, oh, now what? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going on. It can be wrong, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it happens, uh, they're like adrenaline kind of crash after something yes. like that a little bit. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, but glad it went well. Uh, so what we do to start off with on Pep Talk is some this or that questions, just to get warmed up a little bit to make you Ooh. choose some things. Uh, they're not serious at all, so don't stress about that. So <laughs> <laughs> let's kick into yours. So first one for you, we've got sweet or savory? Sweet. Mm, that was quick. Yep, it's a no-brainer. It's <laughs> yeah. terrible. It is for me too. And I guess with all your flavors and everything, it kind of, I could have probably have guessed that you were quite into sweet, <laughs> sweet and fruity kind of thing. Yeah. Nice. All right. One for you. Uh, maybe, maybe it's like picking your children, um, but shampoo or conditioner? No. Uh, shampoo. I very rarely condition actually. I just oh. like formulating conditions more. So. Oh, that's interesting. What's the difference when you're formulating between them? Uh, you can make a really, really spectacular conditioner which the smallest of tweaks with shampoo is that little bit more complicated hmm and yet you don't use conditioner no no I don't need to I'm very um, my hair is very very well behaved so it's kind of boring it is and it always looks good too oh well thank you <laughs> I use this really great shampoo yeah well I, I think I might have heard of it <laughs> what is that <laughs> next one we've got eat out or dinner party at home Ooh, <sighs> dinner party at home I reckon it's someone else's home. I don't want to cook. Mm. Or do the dishes afterwards. Or do the yeah, good point. Mm. I feel like a couple of months ago that would have been a really mean question because eating out was obviously something we none of us could do. But True. at least we've got that back. True. All right. And then last one, right? form or function? Function. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's not that surprising coming from a science <laughs> background maybe <laughs> yeah I guess if you're more creative uh, well I don't know yeah do maybe go for form? yeah maybe it would go for form by a real creative person but yeah maybe you just need both you do absolutely need both mm, that was yeah I mean one <laughs> uh, but that kind of takes us quite nicely because we mentioned science background takes us quite nicely onto personal background so I'm always interested to hear like what people were up to before they started this uh you know business or project that they're on now uh but I guess with you a little bit because tech is eight years old I think it is and you were a student when you started out maybe there isn't like a huge journey before that in terms of like career or business but you can paint a picture of that for us so paint a picture of Brianne pre-tech and what you were studying and what you were doing and all of that I'm a bit of a mess, probably, you know, <laughs> figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. Like most 20-something. Yeah, I'm still doing that now. Yeah, um, aren't we all? <laughs> I don't know. What do I want to do? What do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> um, yeah, so still at university at that point. Um, I had just sold my two sort of baby companies. I'd started it when I was 19. Oh. Um, I started them really because I didn't want to work for anyone else. So I just sold those. I wanted to do something that really would help save the world, which is what I've always said whenever anyone's asked me what I want to do when I grow up. Um, yeah, I was just in a place where I, I realized that something had to be about more than just money to keep me interested. I sold those businesses because I got bored because I had no purpose. Mm. And um, yeah, I was studying science, which I adore. Um, but didn't necessarily want a career in a lab. So I was flailing around finding, you know, what do I want to do? Um, Settled on this idea of combining the passion for the environment and animals with the passion for science and a 
big belief that business is not only fun most of the time, but also the way to change the world. Yeah. And what were you, do you mind me asking what the other businesses that you started before were? Yeah. So one was a typical cosmetics company, um, just, you know, liquids and stuff. And that was really my first foray into making stuff. And the other company was a confectionery company. So something called Spoonable Fudge. Oh, like a liquid fudge. Yeah, more like a, a thick, dense mousse. Uh, it came about mm. because um, I always used to take, I think it goes back to the sweet thing, but I always used to take the dessert, uh, dessert to um, dinners, dinner parties. Mm. And I was running very late one time and I picked up one of those, I don't know, like a pre-made dessert thing that I found in the fridge section and it tasted like plastic and I thought, well, surely, surely there is a better option. And fudge didn't require refrigeration or preservatives, so it seemed like the easy option to me. No, thanks to all the sugar in it. Oh. Exactly. 50% oh. sugar. 50% <laughs> so chocolate and fat. Yes, all the good stuff. <laughs> nice. Oh, and that, yeah, that is really cool to see. Like, so early that you had two other businesses before you even started this one. Like, it, it was obviously a bit kind of in your, was it in your genes or anything? Is it a business that runs in the family? No. Um, to my knowledge, I am the first person in my family with... Um, a, a business, but I guess entrepreneurial thinking and the idea that you can really kind of create anything you want to is is in the family. Mm. Yeah, and that doesn't have to be tied to entrepreneurship. That can no. come out in many ways. Yeah. So you touched on that you had the idea of combining those things, and that kind of leads us to the moment where you had this first idea. Like, do, I, I I've read you know what you said that you realised that your conditioner was ninety five percent water, and had this moment, and I'm just like really picturing this happening in the shower, and I'm going to be really disappointed <laughs> if it doesn't. Uh, is that where it yeah. hit you? Brace for disappointment, I'm afraid. No, uh. I didn't. It's a really nice PR story that we I used to say, is. to be honest. But yeah. no, it was a, um, it, it was kind of something that, re well, not reasonably slowly, but it, it dawned on me that it was obvious, you know, why on earth we put water in our products and then have to package them in plastic and then ship that heavy stuff all around the world. Mm -hmm. That to me was obvious from pff, as soon as I knew the makeup of a cosmetic product. Mm. But I kind of thought, well, it's just the way it is. Um, I guess the, the lightning rod moment was thinking, well, why does it have to be like that? And why can't we produce cosmetics without water? I mean, shampoo bars at that point existed, but the majority of them were soap or, um, say, the lush variety of shampoo bars. Mm. Um, I wanted to expand it, make shampoo that was closer to what people typically understood to be the liquid, you know, salon quality shampoo. And then I wanted to expand it out way further into the proper range you see today you know skin care body care those sorts of things and this all started when you were obviously still a student like you said and I've seen on your website the pictures that you have of your home printed packaging which is <laughs> amazing and I love that you share all that and that you are making it in your kitchen with your mom and like that is all it's just so great to see that because that's it's quite intimidating when you see big brands where they are now but it's really cool to remember where they began and that makes it much more accessible I guess um, totally yeah what was that all like for you? Like when you started out that, did it all happen and take off really quickly or was it quite a slow burn and, a, and hard yakka? What, what was that beginning like for you? I think it was lots more fun than it is. Than it is and it's definitely more fun now um, <laughs> because we don't have the financial constraints we used to. Obviously, we don't have billions of dollars in the bank and not to do whatever we like, but it's a lot easier now. We have resources and experienced people and a fabulous team, so it's easier now. We're just trying to do bigger things. Um it was stressful, it was lonely, it was hard, it was fun, it was exhilarating, it was terrifying, it was never boring and it was never dull. <laughs> That's such a good picture. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that basically sums up 
business in general I guess it really does yeah. Hmm. yeah and that kind of those early days kind of take us on to pledge me so you did crowdfunding hmm. or you've done two pledge me campaigns over the years have indeed yeah so that's quite an interesting that's come up a little bit in these chats that we've had on pep talk about using that as a way you know to fund growth so i'm interested to hear like how you decided to raise money in that way compared with other ways and are you glad that you did do it in that way Mm. Uh, yeah, I love crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding in particular. So equity crowdfunding is a little bit uh, different to project, which I think people are typically more familiar with. So equity crowdfunding is literally where you sell shares, part of your company. Um, mm, compared with like where you get a reward or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which um, a lot of businesses raise money th- through the reward way and then actually regret it if you talk to them afterwards because they didn't raise enough to actually cover the costs as well mm. as actually um, invest. So it's usually... Um, a bigger issue than they realize initially but yeah equity crowdfunding I'm a huge fan of if you have the right business for it and you need a story you need a brand that people can back and get passionate about um, it would be harder to do something like that about say a law firm it would be a different way of funding what that people are passionate about law firm <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's just a different kind of it's passion. Different. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and yeah, you need that kind of groundswell. You need fans already, right? To You need people that are already along for the ride to kind of carry that kind of campaign, I guess. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so we, we had a, a story people could get behind. We had a purpose that people wanted to see occur you know people wanted to see the world be rid of single-use plastic or disposable single-use plastic um so we raised no i think we first heard about it um maybe five or six weeks before we launched i spoke to anna from pledge me who is fabulous and gave me lots and lots of um advice and feedback and basically walked through the process so we launched well we started all the paperwork and the not too terrifying legal stuff about three weeks before we launched oh that's quite um, yeah, I'd highly recommend people give themselves a great deal more time than that. But <laughs> never tip, mind, we learnt. Yeah. And then um, 10 days after launching, we had raised $200,000. And wow. that was the most enormous amount of money back then, I tell you. Yeah, I bet it was. Yeah, so we had picked up 152 shareholders. Um, in 2017, we did it again. And we raised 500000 in 90 minutes, which was... Um, <laughs> Slightly overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and from another, um, probably about 170 shareholders, I think, at that time. So all up, we had about 352, you know, because there was a few angel investors in there as well. Um, it was awesome. What what appealed to me was not only the money. Obviously, money is the reason you raise money. But we got to bring along a whole crowd of people who were passionate about what we wanted to do, who would be our cheerleaders, and also who would not necessarily be or have access to investment so give them an opportunity to do something that perhaps they couldn't ordinarily do and yes obviously it comes with risk and that was a big responsibility we never took lightly but it's so so cool to be able to give access to something that perhaps is out of some people's reach a lot of the time and then to reward them financially yeah you know, they have people been. own it now yeah yeah, well, we achieved an exit for our uh, shareholders about two weeks ago. We closed a very large um, investment deal, which included that. an exit for those shareholders. And um, people are very, very happy with their uh, returns. That's amazing. And that they could get behind something in the early days and then actually come to that is, yeah, it's pretty fantastic. But a bit of pressure on you, like you say. Like I would feel quite, yeah, like a little bit responsible. It's not like an angel investor that, you know, like a, they can afford to sink some losses, like an everyday person. It's a bit yeah. more personal. Yes, 
Mm. And that kind of, that money, I guess, allows you to scale everything up, right? Like, I'm always interested in the logistics behind these things, how this went from, like, you in the kitchen, I can kind of picture you cooking up these bars and setting them in molds and everything, taking that, I guess, you need uh, to do, you know, you need machinery and equipment and people and production and marketing and all of that. Is that kind of where that money went to, to scale that all up? Yeah, the first one went... um basically into the branding you see today and bringing on an operations manager. Uh, so branding people and a little bit of equipment thinking back. Uh, the second lot went into really scaling the manufacturing and increasing the team that little bit. Yeah, the branding really stands out, right? As one of, I guess it must be one of the big parts of this whole story, the packaging and the way that you name your products, your logo, all of that um, story behind it. It's not really branding, it's just brand in general. Uh, and, I, and I don't want to be make generalizations. We have kind of touched on it already, but often sciencey people aren't as interested in that creative side of things and yes. not always the case but how did you find that was that something that came really naturally to you or did you just see the importance in it I think I'm probably an odd person because I like everything mm-hmm. well not everything I couldn't care at least about finance but I appreciate it's important obviously but meh. Um, <laughs> I really really love the creative side um, but I also love the the analytical side of formulation too so I'm probably a little bit unusual Uh, I do think marketing and branding are incredibly, incredibly important. And that's pretty much the magic of what you've done, I guess, is that intersection between science and the, what makes these products really high quality, but also that they're presented beautifully and very engaging and have a very powerful story and that you've meshed those two things together and created this. And if you only had one and not the other, this wouldn't be what it is now. Probably safe to say. Absolutely. You you definitely need both. You need products that work really well, but you need marketing. And I, I'm often asked, what, what, what do I think works better or is more important, good marketing or a good product? And honestly, cynically speaking, I think a lot of the time it's good marketing. There are some dreadful products out there that people adore. Mm, so there is some really interesting psychology behind the things that we buy. It's definitely mm. not what you'd necessarily think. There's a lot to it. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to dive into. And I guess that works the other way as well. Like there are a lot of um, really good products that aren't marketed and branded well and therefore never get discovered by the world. And that's a real shame. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A big part of that marketing piece, I guess, for you guys is that what you're doing is behavior change. Like you're undoing a lot of work that's been done over decades by the beauty industry. Um, And a lot of people act the way they do with their routines and things just out of habit, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to convince them to break that and that it would be good and easy. So what's that piece been like for you? Um, Is it hard to convince people or when they're on board, they love it? How does that all look? Oh, yeah, it depends on the person, of course, and it depends on what their motivations are. So we enter a market by really touting the environmental benefits. And then they, those environmentalists, will tell their slightly less environmentally minded friends just how good the product is. So that's where the product piece comes in. So the marketing is effective at drawing people in. But it doesn't, kind of contrary to what I just said earlier, it doesn't matter how good your uh, your marketing is if... The product is a bit rubbish, particularly when you are trying to introduce a new format and natural shampoos and conditioners still have a bit of a stigma for being rubbish and certainly solid shampoo and conditioners do because not only are they new but certainly when they they started first coming out they were soap based and soap is chemically damaging to hair. There is is no argument there. 
Um, so a lot of people have bad experiences. So we're not only having to try and change people's minds about the way they wash their hair and their preconceived ideas, we're also having to combat potentially bad experiences. And yeah, it takes a lot of education, um, a lot of a lot of hammering the why. You know, you should buy this because not only is it good for you and your hair, it's better for the environment in a variety of different ways, not just the fact that it's plastic free. Um, and eventually you overcome most objections. Some people you will never convince and that's okay. Yeah, you just have to give up on those people, I guess, and focus on the, the more likely yeah. people. Yeah. And speaking of the industry, have you had any backlash from the more traditional industry? Because I guess what you're doing does kind of threaten a lot of traditional setups. Has, has that come into it at all? Uh, I know that lots and lots of the bigger companies are watching us very closely. Yeah, I bet they um, are. You can you can see that from a, a few things. Um, we've had lots of approaches for investment or acceleration programs from from big CPG companies, mm. uh, so consumer products companies, mm. um, uh, which is interesting. Um, but backlash, no. Well, not to our face. <laughs> so, so maybe. <laughs> Just talk but, about you, behind your back. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, I would imagine we've annoyed some people. But we're, I do believe, and this sounds arrogant, I don't like saying it very often, but I do believe we have changed the industry quite a lot because we are used as an example in big pieces of research about how the cosmetics industry is changing, particularly about sustainable packaging, but also our supply chain and its transparency. Um, it is it is really good because not only is our goal to rid the world of half a billion plastic bottles by 2030, but it's also to inspire not only consumers to demand more from their brands, but also to inspire other brands to think Think more about the design of their products and and consider the entire life cycle of their products when they design something. So what happens to the plastic packaging at the end of its life? Unfortunately, something may be recyclable, but statistically it won't be recycled. Yeah, will it actually so, happen? Yeah. yeah, so we need to stop relying on the fact, oh, it's, but it's recyclable. Mm -hmm. That doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, like do you actually know it's going to be recycled? Yeah. And we also need to stop blaming consumers for this. This needs to be something that businesses look at. Yeah, and I guess like industry-wise, there's no way that people can be burying their head in the sand anymore on all of this, right? Like they, oh. they can be threatened by what you're doing, but it's not something that they can just ignore anymore. Well, you could say that, but then you could also look at the people who deny uh, the climate crisis. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and people who de yeah people deny a lot of things. Yeah, they yeah. do because it, it, it's it's scary. You get defensive about things you don't want to happen. No one wants this to be happening. Yeah. So a lot of people get scared about it and then get defensive, and they look for reasons and they hang on to reasons that it's not happening and ignore mm. latent science. And it's human nature. Convince themselves. Yeah, and I guess the flip side of that industry side of things is also maybe like copycats being a thing as you've been growing. And a massive thing. Yeah. Yes. And how do you deal with all that? Do you just kind of be confident in what you're doing and go forward? Uh, no, if it's a blatant copy, and there has been several, um, we don't tolerate it, to be honest. If it's branding copy, which there was, there's been a couple, um, we do send them a nice, e a nice letter saying, look, could, um, this is probably inadvertent, absolutely understand, but could you please change this? And we've never had any problems with that. Um, we have had a company offshore very blatantly rip off not only our formulations and other things, but also try and pass themselves off as us and sit on trademarks. Now that comes down to anti-competitive behaviour. So we, we did deal with that with lawyers. Um, but really, I think most people are inspired by other companies uh, and inadvertently incorporate some of that company into their own. And I'm pretty forgiving of that. 
everyone is inspired by everyone else. Um, as long as it's not done in an, again, an anti-competitive way, uh, people don't tend to mean harm. And I guess it gets to a certain stage where you've you've come so far and you've done so much and you're so well established that you can't worry about all those little things that pop up. You just have to stay in your lane a little bit, I guess. Yeah, it, it does um, depend on the size of the organisation, mm. where they are based in the world, um, a few other things as to whether you, you do anything about it. There's no point in, you know, it, it's David and Goliath. Sometimes you just come across as a jerk for something that nobody yeah. meant to, you know, that they didn't mean to do. Yeah, and wasn't going to be a real threat, if you're honest. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-mm. And of course, the sustainability side of things is a big part of what you're doing. Um, not, I mean, I guess it is what you're doing. It's not even a part of it. <laughs> uh, I liked on your video for the launch you just did when someone was like, is it plastic free? And you're like, it's kind of a thing. <laughs> it's kind of the whole point. And I guess it's like a lot of businesses nowadays build that into their their brand which is amazing but what you know you are the most sustainable brand in the world which is a massive you know massive thing to put on your shoulders I guess um how is you know how has that all played out and are there any tricks do you think to making that realistic in terms of being ethical and profitable um uh, because sustainable values well sustainability and ethical values are the foundation upon which a teak is built it is nice and easy to incorporate that into every decision we make um it is something that just comes naturally so uh, i was use an example we were offered a big opportunity <clears throat> with a retailer in the united states um about this time last year and it would have been a rollout through about 800 stores and we were very excited um but then they said um but you'll need to package every single one of your products in poly bags, so plastic bags, to prevent leakage. And I said, well, well that probably doesn't make sense because our products are solid and can't leak. And they said, no, no, it's our standard protocol. And I said, oh, well, that's a shame. We're unfortunate we won't be able to work together. So, that's so funny. It's like, you kind of, do you get it? You're kind of not getting the you're point not, you're here. Not, you're not getting it. Yeah. Yeah. Some people, it's it's not as inbuilt in other companies as ours. So it is, mm. it is harder for them to understand sometimes. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess with you, like it's been built in from the absolute beginning like that was one of the main reasons that you even started this whole thing so it's kind of part of the dna and like you say every decision you make has a really clear you know that overlays it really clearly it's not um ambiguous which way it's going to go it's super clear cut um do you think for businesses that are already in existence or haven't built that into the kind of fabric of their brand from the beginning like what's what have you learned about how to build that in and how to make it work um, it's hard to answer that, I suppose, because I've never had a company, like a proper company that didn't. That didn't, yeah. Um, yeah that's fair enough. So I suppose from my perspective, it's simply a matter of determining what your values are at the very, very beginning if you can, because it's harder to shoehorn them in later, um, and just measuring your decisions against those so again, going back to the retailer, you know, plastic free is our ultimate value. So of course that could never go ahead. Um, but then there's other things that I guess are a little bit less clear. So our Amazon partnership, we don't work with Amazon directly. We work with a distributor who sells on Amazon and it's a large part of our sales in the States. And occasionally we get the question, why do you work with a company who's unethical? And we, we measured it up. We weighed it up as a, as a team. And for a long time, it was our only path into the States. It enabled us to to save about four of the nine million plastic bottles we've saved. And we think the good access to this kind of products does outweighs the potential bad that our partnership with Amazon does. And also demand of sustainable products 
creates change. You cannot change a system by being on the outside and shouting at it. I truly believe you need to change things from within, um, which goes to my, my belief that business is the fastest way to create change. And Amazon is implementing some interesting policies about around sustainability and ethical treatment of their team. Um, they've obviously got a way to go, a long way to go, but the fact that they're even beginning to care is an indication of the, the fact that they're actually listening to the consumers. I guess it's kind of like a necessary evil, kind of is how you'd phrase it. Like you, you know the yeah. greater the greater good and you know where yeah. you're heading and it needs to be, yeah, it can't all be black and white. There needs to be a little bit of There gray. is no black and white in the world. I know a lot of people believe that life should be black and white. I just believe it's many, many shades of grey. And that kind of takes us to your new US-based distribution center, which must be massive for you guys. So before that, were you shipping from New Zealand? We were. We were. um, It was expensive. And whilst we offset um, all our carbon emissions anyway and planted a tree for every order, there was still that nagging feeling that each individual bar was still, you know, being flown. We didn't like that. So now now we can see freight and we're exploring manufacturing offshore. But now we can see freight in the meantime. So the the carbon threat of of those bars is even lower. Um, The environmental impact was still still lower than buying a bottle, believe it or not, um, because bars have about 8% of the carbon footprint of a bottle product just because of the plastic and the water involved and the freight. Even with a ship going over New Zealand, it's still better, but uh, it it still isn't great. It still could be better, so we are delighted that we now have that access. Mm, So you obviously still make everything here at the moment, but then it's all bulk travels over to the US in bulk and is stored over there and shipped yeah. yeah, yeah, but we are exploring offshore manufacturing in America and the UK. Um, that probably won't kick off till late next year at the earliest, but it does. That is much more environmentally friendly to make closer to your market. But we will always manufacture in New Zealand as well. It's kind of like because we talked to Fix and Fog on the podcast, and they are producing in uh, the US now. Oh, so, cool! I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So when they launched there, they've launched in Texas. So they're doing it one bat at a time. Started with Texas and started producing over there. But I just, I can't even imagine the logistics of manufacturing in another country. Like it, it's a big project. Uh, yeah, it's, especially as I can't go over there. So we've employed yes. some some great, uh, really experienced people as a result of our um, investment uh, in these countries who can enable that for us and make life a lot easier. And as you mentioned, your aim is, I think, is it 50 million bottles you want to say from the landfill bay? Is it 2030 you mentioned? It, it was. Is it was. Um, yeah, so prior to the investment, it was 50 million by 2025. Mm, that's but this investment has enabled faster growth, and so now it's half a billion by 2030. <gasps> oh, and that's yeah, 10 years away. <laughs> that's amazing what's the picture like and I'm, I know that's this is a very big question but just generally what's the plan to get there is it more of the same or more new stuff more, but a it's both? a lot of a lot of the same so it's it's the continued international expansion not necessarily into huge amounts of new markets but greater access in the markets we're in um new products for sure like the concentrate range um and a bigger a big range coming next year too, which I you know I can't tell you about or I'd have to kill you. Um, but yeah, a lot of the same. It's just creating greater access, doing more education, so people look out for these sorts of products and inspiring other companies to do similar things. Amazing. That's I love. And when you look back at what you've done so far, which is already amazing, but then the the scale to take that to half a billion from I think is it nine million you at at the moment. Uh, yes, nine and, well, it'll be nearly nine and a half now, so it'll be 10 by the end of the year. 
and that's in eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the the thing that I was, you know, when you said you launched the US-based distribution center, distribution center this year, I'm like, how? Like COVID. Yeah, that was it. fun in May. <laughs> Ah, like that stresses me out just thinking about it so that kind of takes us to think a bit about COVID and everything that's happened and the impact of COVID on business is so varied like and it, yes. and you often can't predict it like it's often not what you think it is so it's always interesting to hear what that's been like for people you're obviously a global business but global is tough right now it is Need, uh, tough as an understatement but, but tell us a bit about what what COVID has been like at a tech and how that's impacted on you guys well we were quite um proactive in March and we you know we downgraded a lot of expenses we uh pulled back product launches um in anticipation that it would get very bad very quickly in New Zealand um I wasn't a champion of that I believed it was a little bit of a a little bit overstated mm -hmm. um back in February I was very wrong, obviously, and I'm very grateful that my COO put in place some, some very good actions to prevent anything happening to a teak. But um, we didn't really struggle from a sales perspective. Sales have been pretty steady. What we have struggled with has been international freight restrictions because obviously with no planes in the year, um, ships are full. So all that air freight is now going on sea freight, so all our sea freight has been bumped. And that's been kind of tricky. But... We've been very lucky. We've been, you know, first and foremost, the most important thing is our team is happy and healthy and safe. So once that was assured, or as much as we could assure it, of course, um, then it was on to making sure the business would, would survive. And we have been very lucky in that we've been minimally affected, certainly in comparison to a lot of other companies. And I feel a bit guilty about that almost. Funny, it's, it's a weird way, you know, how do you handle this sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's a similar... You know, it's similar to being in New Zealand right now, you know, like we are relatively speaking quite unaffected compared mm. with overseas. And it's a similar kind of almost guilt, like not quite sure how I should feel about this, feel very lucky, but don't want to be too smug. And, you know, it's lots of lots of things going on, lots of emotions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And what about your super soap that I've, I've heard about where you were yeah. donating soap? Because obviously soap is a pretty big deal right now, hand sanitizer and everything. Where did that all come from and what's it been like? Well, a lot of people have been going on about, well, obviously, hand sanitizer became the thing, and yet nobody could get any for a long time. And we thought, what can we do? We can't make hand sanitizer, because not only do we not use plastic bottles, we couldn't get any alcohol either, and we would have made some and donated some had we been able to. We looked into it and just couldn't get any ethanol or anything um, that would work. So we thought, well, what do we make? We make bars of soap, and we have water. Soap is better than an alcohol gel um, for a wider variety of microbes. Um, so let's let's start making some soap, some nice basic unscented stuff that could be used by as many people as possible so it's allergen free and then let's start donating it to organisations like the Red Cross and Oxfam and um, that's what we did. So for, we donated uh, 50,000 bars so far um, and we are looking at continuing the program as um, sort of a more permanent permanent fixture. So most of those bars went to, um, some went to Rarotonga, um, Tonga and... Samoa and um, I mean and sort of more vulnerable communities around New Zealand and um, we've also expanded the program into the states as well. Oh wow and so you think you'll keep that going? 
Yeah, I'd really like to. Um, so many people, I think it's about 2.2 billion, don't have access to water, uh, just to the basic hygiene of, of soap and water. And you just only have to look back in history, and particularly pregnancy and midwives, actually, to see the impact soap had on human history. Um, it, it, it really, it's such a simple thing we all take for granted, and yet saves thousands and thousands of lives every day. Oh, it's mind blowing. Eh? Like we can't even fathom. We're, we're you know just from our place of privilege. But yeah, that's fantastic. You can do that. And adding that to your very long list of things that you're already doing with um, your donations and your living wage and your carbon neutral and everything. That's a, another string in your bow. And you did say as well. I think that you were going to start a charitable organisation of your own at some stage. Is that still yes. on the cards? Yes, it is. Yep. Um, I will, I've put it slightly to the side while we set the Atik Foundation up, so we have been quite ad hoc with who we've donated that 20% to, uh, but now it's becoming quite that quite a chunk of money. We need to be a little bit more specific and strategic to make sure that the places we're giving money are actually achieving what they want to achieve and see if we can help them in other ways too. So we're setting up a foundation we will launch next year, the Atik Foundation, um, to, to guide that, um, and then I will uh, look at my own once that's set up, and I've learnt a bit about the process. <laughs> you've got you've got plenty happening next year. So <laughs> next year's going to be another big one. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting after what 2020 has been like. Like a lot of things have been kind of delayed or postponed. So I, who knows what's going to happen in 2021? 2021 could be just everyone's doing everything. They're delayed, even though you know things aren't back to normal. Yeah. I don't believe for a second that things will be back to normal. No, it's not looking good. It's yeah, it's weird because when this all started, it was like oh a couple of months, and we'll we'll just put our holiday off by a couple of months, and it'll be all normal. And then now yeah. it's like maybe a couple of years. Yeah, I think it's close to years, which I know is super depressing, but it is will be realistic bit. about it. Yeah, yeah. And do you see any bigger picture effects of, of everything that's happened this year for you guys as a business? Uh, like obviously recession, depression, there's going to be ongoing effect, effects even after this is all wrapped up. Does yeah, that affect you guys at all? It's hard to know. No one knows. Mm-hmm. Um, look, there's a, there's a stand-up joke that, Economists have predicted 11 out of the last three recessions. No one knows. Uh, people have some good ideas, and it's definitely worth reading and learning. But um, yeah. we're in a good industry again. Obviously, yeah, hygiene, putting that aside. Yeah. Um, there's also the it's called the the lipstick effect, which is mm. the idea that in times of strife, people will buy the odd luxury item because it makes them feel better. Yes, the little luxuries kind of. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that will be probably something we would benefit from. Um, not that we would encourage people to spend money on things like that, unless they truly can afford them and they do make themselves feel better. But um, that's the that's the sort of hard line to walk is making sure the company is um, sustainable, but without being overly salesy, which we've never ever wanted to be. Yeah, definitely have to toe that line and be yeah. sensitive to the mood, right? Like there's a yeah. lot, a lot of emotions at the moment. Yes, there is. Hmm. All right. Oh, well, that has been awesome to hear about. Thank you so much for sharing it all. And uh, I can't let you slip away without getting one final kind of advice or piece or tip or something from you that you've learned in this crazy journey that you've been on. What's your best, what's your best one you've got for us? I'm going to do two. So one is more related to, to going out and doing what you want. So when I, um, much earlier in my journey a lot of and people still do it now but a lot of people would try and give me pieces of advice and they would be they would seemingly be very experienced in whatever field they were in and I was in awe of these people who were trying to help me and I would try and take on as many pieces of advice as advice as possible and eventually I realized that that's 
really unhelpful. Um, just because somebody is giving you advice and you think that they are very experienced and they know everything doesn't mean you need to do what they say, particularly if it goes against your values. So you do need to trust your gut, which is a little bit of an OU statement, but you do need to back yourself and have a bit of faith in yourself. Um, the other piece is a lot of people are feeling very apathetic about various issues in the world, the plastic crisis, the climate crisis, all the other horrible things going on, of which there is many this year. Um, and I guess what I always like to hold on to is the idea that we have all the solutions that we need to solve almost all of the crises we face, particularly the climate crisis. And um, it's worth bearing in mind that we can do it if we want to. So there is no need to be apathetic that this problem is unsolvable because we have those solutions and we just need to implement them. Obviously, implementing them is quite difficult. Mm. But, uh, we but can. yeah, interesting way of, of thinking about it. And yeah. I like that. And, that. and it kind of takes the impossibility out of it, I guess. Yeah, because you look at some, some of these enormous problems and you think, well, that's pointless. I can't even contribute slightly, so why bother trying? Mm. But that's not true. Yeah, if we all believe that it is possible and everyone's on board and... Yeah, that's the hard part, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> nice. Oh, well, that is a very good and very fitting way to take us out. So thank you. And I'll let you get back to that, that I imagine, very long to-do list of things for 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a bit. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Been fantastic. Thanks, Brianne. Good to chat. As you will have gathered from that chat, Brianne is a very busy lady keeping all of these plate spinning but also planning all of these amazing things for 2021. I am just really grateful that she had time to share that all with us today, especially the day after a big new range launch. So I really do hope that you picked up a few handy tricks and enjoyed the story with me and not to mention were just totally inspired, like how could you not be? Thank you to you for being part of the Pep Talk fam and having a listen to this episode. Remember, please do keep in touch over on Instagram at peptalknz and on our website, which is peptalk.co.nz. Until next time, bye.